Hey, Forge family. We were last together to discuss podcast number seven. It's from the Epistle of James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And in that text, uh, James introduced to us the issue of the tongue. His assemblies that were scattered through the synagogues and the towns and cities across the Eastern Roman Empire were struggling with the misuse of the tongue in their fellowships. At the top of James's list were the many, the too many, who were stepping up to be teachers. He's, he's deeply concerned that there were those teaching who had not yet mastered the gospel message, much less applied it to their personal lives. And then James launched into a series of illustrations of the tongue out of control. The wildfires, the rudderless ships, mouths that would bless God and then turn immediately and curse one another. Lastly, James displayed a spray of images from Palestinian life. Artesian springs, the crops, and the salt sea, all in contrast to each other. Pure versus impure. Fresh versus impotable. All to say to his readers, family, brothers and sisters, you can't have it both ways. A forked tongue, an impure spring, and still be a doer of the word, much less a teacher. James left us with hard realities and a call to pray to the Father of Heaven for His Spirit to lead us into a pure tongue and a pure life. Let's pray today. Spirit of the living God, thank you for your faithful prompt in us to guard our mouth and to discipline our thoughts. You, Spirit of God, are the only one who gives speaking gifts that lift up, that edify, that encourage others and ourselves. We rely on you. Keep coming, Holy Spirit. Okay, family, go get your text of James, your notebooks, pen, cup of coffee, whatever you're going to sit with and get ready. This is the start of podcast number eight, and we're going to finish up James chapter three with verses 13 to 18. So let's read that together. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James jumps back into his theme of speech, of the tongue, if you will. But here he adds the necessity of wisdom. Yes, he has concerns for the teachers, but you know, overall, 
this is for everyone, the brothers and sisters in all those congregations as well. In verse 13, he begins with a rhetorical question. Who among you is wise and understanding? The Greek word for wisdom is sophos. But James is, is himself rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. There, wisdom is a blend of theory and practice. Wisdom comes from a relationship with God, not from experience. Now, in the New Testament, when we invert that last sentence, when we come to know God in Christ Jesus, wisdom comes from him, from Christ, as well as insight and expertise gained in our walk with him. The understanding that James is referring to next is referring to epistemon. It's, it's a Greek word that describes knowledge of both a moral and spiritual nature. So James calls both teachers and brothers and sisters to evaluate themselves, to discern who is it that is already in their midst, who practices righteousness, that's an exemplary life, okay, and who is gifted of God with wisdom. And then James says, if you think they qualify, then check out their humility, their beautiful, gentle lifestyle. In the text, the placement of gentleness, meekness, next to wisdom, was a jolt to any savvy person in the Greco-Roman culture. You see, gentleness or meekness was viewed as a profound weakness and failure and not to be embraced. Yet here, James says, gentleness plus wisdom make good chemistry in the kingdom of God. That combination makes us readily teachable and quickly responsive to the Spirit of God. Now remember back, chapter 1, verse 5, we are to pray when we lack wisdom. And in the same chapter, verse 21, we are commanded to receive the Word of God that is implanted in us at conversion. And we're to do that with humility. That humility, that, gent that gentleness comes with a good sense of who I am and who I am not. James is even rebuking leadership in his congregations that are still insisting that humility is not for them. For those who are truly wise, they must exhibit that wisdom with humility. During the Jesus movement days nearly 40 years ago, a man came into the congregation who had been a heroin addict, and God cleaned up his life. And uh, he had made his living as a sailmaker for racing sailing ships out of Sausalito in California. And uh, um, he was named for his gift. His name was Wise. Ted Wise was a man that was sought out when things were stuck, when there was a necessity for a response, a turn, when we were under attack. Ted had a gracious, gentle, pure life of humility, and when he called on heaven, it flowed through him. He was a wise man in our presence. In verse 14, James starts off with a phrase that could be read, quote, 
But if you have bitter jealousy, and you do. But if you have selfish ambition in your midst, and you do. Okay? Here, jealousy is from the Greek word zelos, which put, put into a positive setting, a positive context, speaks of enthusiasm and ardent concern and involvement. But here, because James pairs it with the word bitter, it's bad news. Okay, Pikros is the word for bitter, and it means sharp, harsh, prickly, and pungent. You have zelos here that's like hugging a porcupine that's just been sprayed by a skunk. James continues with self-ambition. A term that arose from political infighting, one that lays claim to pride, arrogance, rivalry, contentiousness, and triumphal individualism. All in the name of looking out for number one. Such selfish ambition is always wishing and choosing so that others get less. Such is the source of the party spirit Paul discusses and its tendency to be divisive. Now let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Paul is in prison. He's awaiting judgment. He, he had appealed his case, if you will, before Caesar. And he's waiting to be judged by Nero, which, and we know how that turned out. Okay, But he writes to the people in Philippi, and he says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So, family, this problem of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition was not just in, you know, in James's churches. James continues saying, do not be arrogant. Now, idiomatically, put that in street language. You know, James is saying, do not crow. You know, that sort of strutting spread tail feathers. You know, the, the, the peacock that just flashes his, his beauty. Okay? James says, don't be proud to claim wisdom you do not own. Don't brag and lie in defiance of the truth. Verse 15, James continues with a conclusion. If you've let bitter jealousy and selfish ambition be harbored in your hearts. Okay, when you harbor something, you, you, you sail a ship into you know, the lee side away from the raging storms, and it's a safe place. It's a place to sink an anchor and be safe. It's a place of provision. It's a place where you can hang out. Okay, well, if that's happened, if bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition have set their anchors in the midst of your congregation, 
that stuff is going to pollute you. That jealousy and arrogance is not reflective of the wisdom that comes from your heavenly father. Now, there's a pastor I pray with often who oversees a number of churches. In one of his congregation, he has a leader who has had a consistent history of being very difficult to love. One moment they're sweet and tractable, and the next moment they are harsh and prickly. Now, if you were to pet that stinky porcupine from front to back, from the nose to the tail, nice porcupine, nice smooth quills. Okay, but if you brush your hand in the other direction, back to front, you're going to get a handful of pain. See, that's what's happening in that congregation. So right now, Forge family, I want us to stop and pray right now for this pastor who has a difficult confrontation to make with this leader. Lord, what was common in James' churches and Paul's congregations is too often loosed in our own midst. We tolerate rather than correct. We cringe rather than rebuke. And even get up and leave churches behind if we feel wounded. This is not right in God's eyes. Please give my friend wisdom from above to step into this difficult, prickly situation and see purity and peace restored by Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So family, this bitter stuff does not come from heaven. Its sources are, James says, they're earthly, natural, and demonic. In the New Testament, this earthly reference is consistently spoken of as inferior. It shuts out God. It shuts up God. It limits its scope to what man knows and to what man has discovered. Secondly, the natural label sets it apart from the supernatural, and it lacks all life in the Holy Spirit. It is merely soulish. And thirdly, this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition also has some demonic push, demonic influence. And it, is, it often comes with delusion. And it too often is expressed like this, quote, who I am and what I am is right, and the rest of you are wrong. Let me say it again, because you, you, this may trigger something in you where you go, oh, oh, I know what that is. Okay, quote, who I am and what I am is right, and the rest of you are wrong, unquote. That's to help you begin to diagnose and discern what's going on around you. So one of the brothers who helped me cut my teeth in ministry nearly 50 years ago, is still in ministry. He's winsome, humorous, talented, insightful. He's a great guy. But when, when money got really thin, when his funding in ministry ran low, he borrowed money from brothers and sisters repeatedly and has not repaid it. I believe that delusion is of a demonic source. 
and it's all over him in that area. Quote, what I choose to do is right, and the rest of you are wrong, unquote. See, that needs confronting. But leadership under whom he serves, his board of directors, have not stepped in with correction or wisdom from above. Now, here again, I want to stop and pray for him and the senior leaders in the region around him. Because it, this, this is a problem for the body of Christ. Okay? And, and senior leaders in the region in which he ministers, in the sphere in which he ministers, uh, need to be alerted and awakened and moved by faith, by Holy Spirit, to a confrontation. So let's pray. I'm going to stop. Let's pray for him and those leaders. Lord God, I love my brother. Please raise up other leaders in his region who have godly spine to confront, to correct, to help him make restitution, and to restore my brother in the Lord by Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Forge family, you're getting a taste of the demands on leadership and what church discipline begins to look like. See, James, James is in the middle of this with his congregations. And James is calling us to walk in the wisdom from above. Finally, verse 17, James brings light into the equation. Now, do you remember a recorded kid's uh, cassette tape, a record perhaps, record may have been a record, it may have been a cassette tape of lessons that were done by Pat Boone and the Agape Force in the 1980s. One of them was called Ansylvania. The storyline was about a young, rebellious uh, young aunt named Antony, who got all uh, huffy when he was corrected. And he leaves Ansylvania and runs into um, a girl aunt named Samantha. And they have a series of misadventures and stories all about the application of wisdom from above. Okay. The scene that sticks in my mind is Antony is caught in a spider's web by a bunch of spiders. And there's a little... Um, a little spider, I think, named Cecilia, who keeps repeating in the story, what do we do about dinner? Antony and Samantha escape by calling on the wisdom from above that they learned back in Ansylvania. So this, is, this was biblical truth taught at a kid level, but it was good stuff. And it's all about the wisdom from above. James says in verse 17, this wisdom that comes down from above, from the Father of lights, is first. Okay, anytime you see that mentioned, first. It's first in mention, first in the line, first in the priority of importance, first to be applied. Okay, the Greek word here says wisdom is first pure. It's a Greek word agnos. Okay? <clears throat> that word speaks of ethical blamelessness and purity. That pure wisdom is free from stain and is incapable of wrongdoing. Obviously, it has to come from the Father. And when we belong to the Father and His purity, that agnos, that pure stuff is established in us, that opens a flow from which all other good things come. That heavenly, pure wisdom is not mixed with the world's values, 
the soul's desires or demonic influence. Next in line, James says that the wisdom from above is peaceable. Okay, we would say peaceful, okay? And his view is seasoned by the word Hebrew word, shalom, okay? Which is not just absence of conflict. It's nothing missing, nothing lacking. It's whole peace. Now, obviously, this is the opposite of the combative, strife-filled, false wisdom. Mind you, that wisdom that expresses itself in peacefulness does not mean abdication. It's not peace at any price. There's a funny story about a 50th wedding anniversary where the, 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 the groom, if you will, at his 50th wedding anniversary is asked, how, how did you make all this work for 50 years? And his response was, <clears throat> um, well, the wife and I had this agreement when we first got married. When she was bothered about something to me, she'd just tell me and get it off her chest. And if I was mad at her about something, I was able to take a long walk. I suppose you could attribute our happy marriage to the fact that I have largely led an outdoor life. <laughs> the words of um, Harold Songer also are pointed here. Harold Songer is a, a man who uh, did a James commentary. And um, he says that uh, righteous do not merely keep the peace, which sometimes means failing to confront problems that should be addressed. Rather, they make peace, which may mean temporarily disrupting a community in order to deal with root problems so that genuine peace may ensue. And we're right in the middle here of what, that's what James is doing. He's disrupting his congregations with this demand from heaven. It's a holy command that says, gotta have purity and you gotta have peace. That wasn't true in all those churches. And it's also true in some of ours. <clears throat> James move on, moves on to the word gentle. It is a word that means considerate, able to be persuaded, sweetly reasonable, equitable. See, but there's no exact English equivalent for this word, epiakes. In Greek, and so you, you it's a sort of compound collection of, of being um, sweetly reasonable and equitable and considered and able to be persuaded. Next, he moves to the wisdom from heaven being endowed with a willingness to submit. Okay, it's descriptive as an openness to reason, an impartiality, an ability by faith to be satisfied with less than your due. Next, this wisdom from above expresses itself in mercy, not from afar, not from across the room, not with a wave as you pass someone on the street. Got it? But it's in practical ways, face to face, that help. That wisdom bears good, spirit-raised fruit in the life of the ones who walk in heaven's wisdom. That wisdom that James described is constant, steadfast, 
stable, unwavering. And it does not change masks. See, the, the, the word hypocrite is really a picture of the actor on the stage in the Greek plays who would, he would make his presentation as a senator and then step behind this, the curtain, do a swift costume change, put on a different mask and come back as a tavern keeper serving his clients. And then he would step behind the curtain, quick costume change, another mask, and go, oh, it's so good to see you here. You know, as one of the serving girls. That's the essence of hypocrite. Okay? Someone who changes their mask from place to place. They play a role. John Milton in Pilgrim's Progress talked a bit about that. He talked about a Mr. Talkative. Someone who was a saint in the marketplace and a devil at home. This, you see, this wisdom of at home says you don't change masks. You don't go from church to home and you're, and you're a different person. Lastly, in verse 18, James says, the result of peacemaking by faith, okay, of applying and exhibiting purity, gentleness, open impartiality, and good fruit in the life results in an atmosphere, a sphere of influence where righteousness abounds. All right, Forge family, I'm sure you can sense that without Jesus Christ in the heart and life, there's no possibility to express that wisdom from above, from Heavenly Father. The flip side of that statement is that when you bump into the wisdom from below and you observe it at work and you see that it's earthly, naturally selfish, and demonic, that speaks of the probability of the lack of Jesus in the life of that individual or in some deep, unaddressed area that desperately needs healing and deliverance and restoration so that that person can begin to walk out wisdom from above. Now, you on the other hand, family, you have the mind of Christ. You are ready to ask for wisdom that comes from him. Some of you will go on to be leadership in the church, wherever God takes you. Get ready now. Draw on heaven and learn to savor and to practice and to highly value the wisdom from above. To have it mark your life as you're set apart for him. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, you are pouring out wisdom into those who, by the Spirit, ask when they need it. That wisdom is so out of sync with our culture today, as it was in the day of James. We need your presence to help us learn to apply your answered wisdom downloads. We would be a family of believers who are filled with the wisdom from above. Amen. Art Forge family, I love you. We'll talk soon. God bless.